This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest-growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. So, hi everyone. Uh, this is uh, episode 106, 106 of Breaking Banks Europe. It's the November episode of news from the fintech front. Uh, my name is Matthias Grüner, and I have the privilege and pleasure to be the host and moderator of today's session, uh, to which I can welcome uh, super uh, high reputational and super well-known guest, um, Leda Glyptis on the one side, smiling already, and Mariano Belinki on the other side. Uh, maybe Not smiling. <laughs> Never smiling. <laughs> maybe, maybe we start, uh, Leda, maybe we start by giving you a little bit of uh, the opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience and uh, give a little bit of your background. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and very good to be uh, back with both of you, albeit uh, virtually and remotely. I am uh, the Chief Client Officer of 10x Banking Technologies, so uh, I work in, in the core banking um, cloud native space. Uh, but I am a recovering banker, as, as many of you know, so I've spent about um, 20 odd years um, in pretty traditional banking uh, before I moved on to, on to the other side and, and have the scars and grey hairs to prove it. Wonderful. Mariano? Yes. So um, I am a sort of a recovering banker as well, I guess. Uh, I, uh, I did many things in, in my life, but I think, you know, uh, with regards to, to the conversation today, I used to run Innoventures, uh, which is or was Santander's uh, FinTech VC fund. Then I took a break from FinTech for about four years to run uh, asset management, Santander Asset Management, the, uh, the retail asset management division of Santander. And as of 28 uh, days, uh, I've been an industry partner with uh, Motive Partners, which is a private equity firm uh, in the fintech space. Wow. So I'm back, in, uh, I'm back in the fintech game, so to speak. Wow. Yeah, Mariano, let us speak about that, actually, what private equity is doing in the fintech environment, because I would say or assume that private equity is a later stage investment type, actually, and, and would we regard fintech to be already later stage ready? Um, but I, I might be totally wrong. But let, 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 us keep that, let us keep that for the course of our session. Now, I would may, maybe allow me to set the frame a bit for November. Um, by uh, for well, when doing the preparation for that podcast, of course, you'll have a look to what happened in November. And I would say, out of my um, understanding, one of the most relevant topics we've had in November is uh, the Glasgow conference. Uh, so we had a lot of um, state representatives and uh, all kinds of people meeting in Glasgow, speaking about. Uh, the fact that we are having an overheating planet and, and how we want to overcome that 
There is a clear feedback from Greta and the guys saying all this was blah, blah. Um, well, I'm, I'm just a media cons consuming guy. Uh, out of that perspective, I could say, yes, I understand that. But what I wanted to uh, actually reach out to you, Mariano and Lida, is, is green finance. Wherever we go, you know, we had Singapore FinTech Festival in November as well. Clearly not in Europe, by the way. Uh, we had this and also again and every time, uh, sustainable finance, sustainable uh, investing, green finance is, is a very, very big topic. Where, where, where would you see that? Is that an opportunity for us in the FinTech space, Lida? I know that Mariana will have a stronger opinion than me. And I was yeah, that's why I thought you. the moderating voice afterwards. Um, <laughs> I, I, I always find it ironic when people fly all over the world with their big retinues to talk about how we should uh, um, reduce emissions and, and look after the planet. Um, is it so much blah, blah? I, I think it's fair to say that for now it is. Green finance is not particularly new. Um, it was 15 years ago in BNY Mellon and we already were old hands at dealing with green bonds and, and carbon indices. So what we have now isn't particularly new. I wouldn't say it has um, matured particularly well. Um, I don't think it's the um, is an area of focus. There's definitely a lot of public greenwashing going on. You see a lot of articles that don't mean anything. Um, so <clears throat> I'm not a believer that, that we've achieved much. But for a very long time, a lot of the stuff our industry has done has been jazz hands. Our engagement with digital technologies, with more responsible finance started in a way that it's fair to say quite a lot of the decision makers were not, were not expecting to go much deeper than a bit of theater, a bit of innovation theater. And the reality was that the imperatives were too large and actually like it or lump it, it becomes... Uh, much more, much more important and central. But for that to happen, you need regulatory pressure, consumer pressure, market pressure. Without those three things happening, I, I do fear it will remain so much blah blah. I, I haven't seen anything other than PR on this, to be honest with you, in the industry. This is depressing. I, I'm afraid it's getting even more depressing now, Mariano. Hearing your answer on that topic. Yeah, I think I have to first sort of, you know, as usual, uh, violently agree with Leda on this. I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, industry-wide, uh, what we're seeing for the most part is some variation of uh, greenwashing, right? Some people maybe invest a little bit more and try to find the aspects of... Uh, of, uh, of let's say ESG overall, not just the sustainable bit or the climate change bit, uh, that can where they can shine. Let's say where they can have you know something more to say than I've bought some you know uh, carbon offsetting um, contract for my latest fund or bond or structure or loan. Um, but but the reality is that uh, if you want to, it's hard to see a measure of real impact that we could say, oh, look, you know, things are changing. This is really something that, that, that we can see a difference. I think uh, we've created as an industry a number of, of metrics and KPIs and ways of looking at it to, uh, to get the sense that things are changing. But the reality is that ultimately, I think uh, there's still a very, very long way to go for that to, to happen. 
just not to be, you know, my typical pessimistic self, uh, I think there are a few, of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, positive notes here and there. Um, during the summer, I spent some time in Stockholm um, and I went to the, um, I'm going to mispronounce it, Norsken uh, Impact Accelerator, right, uh, where they were running uh, a, a, um, a class of, of impact-oriented um, startups, uh, some of them in the fintech space, most of them in the fintech space, actually. And I think the upbeat, the upbeat message there is that given now there's so much focus on climate change and sustainability and impact, and there's such an oversupply of capital uh, right now, uh, uh, we, these two things mean that there's suddenly a ton of money going into some of these projects, and, and some of these projects are actually going to have an impact, right? You see a lot of, um, um, you know, the sort of credit credit platforms that, you know, version three or version four of credit, credit platforms that we used to see in 2015 and 2016, but now focus on sustainable business, on, on creating, uh, you know, positive impact in society. You see um, investment products that allow people to choose which companies they want to have in their pension plans and which companies not they don't want to have in their pension plans. And I think ultimately uh, this supply of capital and this new generation of, of, of startups, and again, many of them fintech-based uh, uh, or, or in the world of fintech, will have some impact in terms of, of diverting money to where things can positively change, right? So so that would be my little upbeat uh, commentary you, with regards to this. Well, what you're saying is there's a lot of money waiting to be called by startups uh, to be invested in their sustainable idea. But I, I would say that even... Even yeah, I do fully agree on this. Uh, so we still would have a discussion, obviously in Europe, what is sustainable? Because uh, I, I could see, and that was also addressed in Singapore. I could see a big gap now in between France and, and Germany defining, for instance, nuclear power plants to be sustainable. Um, and, and personally, I have to say, I find that very hard to um, understand, uh, and so on and so forth. So what you're saying is it needs. Definitely more framework by by decision makers on the political on the political level, but also then let me let me chip in maybe two other points. The one is uh, and there we are in the fintech industry back again, is saying you know we have a strong discussion about green Bitcoin for instance, green cryptocurrencies. Yeah, well, uh, that is something as long as we waste more energy for our cryptocurrencies that. I don't know what is the comparison. It's always like Iceland is using less energy than Bitcoin. Well, that's that's a nice one. I, I think there are not too many people living on Iceland. Um, anyhow, I've never been there. It must be great. Don't worry. Uh, on the one side, but also on the other side, and we have something like PSD2 or open banking, and maybe that would be also an alternative. Hey, you out there, maybe seeking startup ideas, that would be a good and first step to actually mirror back to the users and consumers what is your carbon footprint based on your account data. You know, that would be something I would say we could easily find out. I, I simply, maybe I'm not fully aware of it. I, in Germany, I would say there's one concept around maybe. I could imagine there would be kind of more power and more um, dynamics uh, and more, yeah, well, creativity around, but maybe I'm just not too close to that. So Leda, what do you think? 
I, I like I like where you're going. I'm smiling because um, when I was living in Doha, quite a lot of the locals um, had free access to utilities. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of young guys I used to work with who were um, having little Bitcoin mining farms in their houses mm-hmm. uh, over cooling the houses because of course both the electricity and the air conditioning was free so um so in that in that place you wouldn't be able to measure the carbon footprint even if you wanted to um i think the the ability and the capability to measure these things and do differently and and do better is here like to to take the the points that both you and mariana are making to their logical conclusions like if we make this a focus we have the data we have the technology what we don't have is the will at this point yeah. And, and you, you mentioned PSD2 and open banking. There was a regulatory imperative, which for a very long time was treated by the incumbents as a, do I need to do more yeah. than just comply, right? And, and, and the transformation to, to, to a place where the pieces of the puzzle were in place for the creativity to come on top of it, that, that journey took a long time. Um, in, in Europe, in certain parts of Asia, in Australia, we could move to this much faster. But I, I do think that there is, I mean, I, green Bitcoin is a contradiction in terms, right? But uh, but green crypto doesn't need to be. Okay. All I right. don't think though that, because sustainable finance is both more socially responsible and diverting investment elsewhere so if if you're talking about sustainable finance you'll probably be looking at a different kind of profit structure probably smaller profit margins and an investment into um capabilities that are additive in terms of the impact they have you either want people who are entering this space with a mission the sort of greta of finance we don't have many of those um or regulatory pressure I will go back to the point I was making earlier. Five, 10 years ago, we wouldn't necessarily see a lot of businesses that came into the fray with a mission to help marginalized groups or small businesses. And now we do. So I do I do hope that we'll start moving um, down a more intentional path, but it's a, it's a human agency and intent challenge. Not a practical yeah. one. That is, that is absolutely right. I, I see, guys, I surrender. I see I can't land over with my uh, sustainability and, and green finance topic. But, uh, Mariano, let me let me play maybe the, the ball to you. What out of, in retrospective, in the fintech environment in, in November 2021, in this November, by the way, we Germans got a new, uh, now by announced yesterday or two days ago, a new government with a green participation, with a green party. Uh, actually participating uh, there. Um, what, 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 what was, Mariana, out of your kind of looking in the back mirror, what is your single most relevant topic uh, in the past months there? What, what, what comes to your mind uh, for the last 30 days? I think uh, there, were a lot, there were a couple, as usual, I mean, this is a, the, the same surprise you get every month, but uh, there were a couple of uh, up rounds uh, in terms of funding that, that surprised me a bit. Uh, that, uh, as you were saying at, at the beginning, when I introduced myself, are taking now companies. We see companies graduated from the VC space to the private equity space, or even probably beyond that, right? Um, 
So Cure's round of uh, 4.5 billion valuation backed by Tiger and I think uh, SoftBank as well uh, was uh, was uh, quite surprising. And quite surprising because you see that the full stack that is needed for you know all of the business models that we've been uh, watching mature over the past four or five years in fintech are now uh, full on mammoths, right? Full on companies. You're, you're talking about a company that does uh, ID verification, right? And ID verification is critical, not just for banks, but to for any credit uh, participant, for any crypto wallet, for any, uh, you know, you could claim embedded finance, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, any, anyone that's doing embedded finance, just not, not, not a bank or a, a financial services company anymore needs to do this. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep on seeing, uh, let's say utility-like companies that, that again, were part of the, or maybe a small part of the FinTech space become more and more uh, relevant, right? And, and bigger and bigger, whether you agree with evaluation or not, that's a different discussion. But, but the point I think is that these companies are maturing into full on utilities that are part of a technology stack that is, uh, that has proven to be enabling not just neobanks, mm-hmm. but, uh, everyone who's doing embedded finance, whether you're an incumbent, uh, legacy or non-legacy, right? So I think that's that was to me the, I would say that probably the the most interesting point of all the news fintech related in uh, this past month. Could, could we could we say that maybe this kind of demarcation line between fintech and other industries is more or less washing out or, or erasing, or we are moving more and more into gray zone areas instead of where we come from, like a, a, a very clear white and black uh, uh, environment. Lina, I see I have, you. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I have never found it a particularly helpful term. Um, yeah, I, I think we, we have all used it kind of knowing what we mean. But what we mean is actually a, a moment in time for a long time where things started changing, where new technologies and ways of working started changing the way we understand the economics of businesses. And as Mariano described, it has been about business model transformation and everything that goes with it, right? So um, I have worked in enough banks that said fintech and met in startups. I don't think there are many of them left. Um, and, and I don't even know whether there's anything else left. So if fintech was the confluence of new technology, new ways of working and different ways of making money, that's everything now in the business, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's yeah. A, yeah. No, I was going to say, I think that more and more, something that we've been talking about for, again, for years, which is it's not the fintech per se, or not all the fintech per se, but rather how the fintech enable other companies that is coming to fruition now, right? Everyone, every platform out there is now a fintech, right? Amazon is a fintech, Uber is a fintech, booking.com is a fintech, Deliveroo is a fintech, Kazoo is a fintech. These guys are seeing payments, are seeing uh, payables, are seeing deliverables, are seeing all of the components of banking, they're sitting on massive uh, supplies of cash. 
they realize that they can improve uh, user uh, experience and they can improve bottom line by uh, these intermediating uh, legacy players. And so every single one of these companies is effectively becoming a fintech. So as Leo was saying, there's no more hard line between, oh, this is a fintech, this is not a fintech. You have clients, you're doing transactions, you're a fintech, that's it. Mm. So, Mariano, what, 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 I'm, what, I, what I hear out of that is actually that the, the digital technology or using digital technology is actually enabled to create something like mashup industry and peering down demarcation walls. And, and that the fintech itself we had maybe like in the first half of the 10, 2010s was more like a catalytic, had a catalytic role, but as, as each and every catalyst, actually it's, it's, it's vanishing over the process. It is, it is then how we could see it. And, th and then we have maybe larger incumbents, ecosystems that move into it and adopt it. And we have others who just simply didn't hear that by now and, and might face uh, a very tough future. Is, is that, or is that? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily a sort of bigger or smaller incumbent or new entrant. I think, um, remember that old and recent uh, article on like software is eating the world and the idea of the, the yeah. closer you are to the customer, the more of a, a, a um, and the more of an unfair advantage you have. Well, I think that we realized that fintechs probably had a little bit of an advantage over banks, but everyone who's interacting with a client, uh, with a customer on a daily basis, again, an Uber, a Kazoo, a Booking, an Amazon, any of these guys have an intrinsic advantage over a fintech. The reality is that we don't really interact with our banks if we, or with our financial services on a daily basis if we don't need to, but we use Uber and Deliveroo and all of these things every single day. Sure. So again, I think it's not like what is and what isn't or, or an incumbent versus a new entrant or a legacy. It's more about who is becoming an, an enabler of, of, of whom, right? It's uh, if you're low, if, if, remember that old joke, if you're low, if you're lower down, in the uh, in the food chain, well, just please pass the salt. That's it, right? So I totally agree with that, and I think there is there is a, a a sort of dramatic realization if we take a step back and say the the trans transition we see is from a a period of banking that lasted about I don't know 100 150 years during which banking was pretty static and boring, but before that it was an opportunistic solution to opportunities of trade. So actually why we took stability as normal and not that dynamic emergence of solution to match the problem or opportunity. And what Mariano described is a um, recoalescence of a, an industry that is finally dynamic again solving problems the way it did in the early days of finance and the same now as then new entrants came in the same now as then ways of working changed and it's all about using the means at your disposal to go after the opportunity or solve the problem um if we if we don't take those years of an inexplicable stability as the norm then what's happening now was just long overdue in some ways it's just different because of the means at our disposal with, I, I can't summarize much better 
like the discussion we just had for the first part of our podcast and show today and with this very I would say philosophical discussion of corporate evolution and market evolution. Let us head into the break uh, and and stay tuned. Actually, because my first question after the break will be later: What was your main event in November? And if you want to hear and find out what uh, is in her mind thinking back into November, you have to stay on the show. Thank you so much. FinTech Stage builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners, and regulators to build trusted and connected FinTech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will improve people's lives. Through our immersive programs, we connect global industry experts with local financial services communities to explore, challenge, and solve important issues related to FinTech, RegTech, InsureTech, artificial intelligence, identity, and financial inclusion. The good news is that we have done it before. InnoTribe was the first and largest fintech movement worldwide, and our founders were amongst its orchestrators. We build programs with a wise combination of formats, partnerships, and content. It is experience-based, tailor-made, and proven to deliver results. Visit us at fintechstage.com, or feel free to send an email to operations at fintechstage.com for more information. Yeah, hi everyone. I'm I'm happy that you're still on the show. This is episode 106, 106 of Breaking Banks. These are the news from the fintech front for November. Uh, finally, snow in Germany, COVID still around more than ever. You know, there's so many bad things we could look back actually. But Lena, um, what is what is looking back into November? Uh, what would be maybe your most positive highlight? Well, my obviously, I'll come from a very selfish place at this because uh, it's been a great few weeks for for Ten X. Uh, we're live with Chase in the UK, and we've also now live um, with uh, Westpac in Australia. And I think wow. that one is a particularly interesting one, both equally exciting for us. And every time I get on the tube and I get a Chase ad, I do a little dance. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to use a um, a card. Wait, can we see the dance? Yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Um, the uh, yeah. but I, I do I do think that it's worth pausing to talk a little bit about um, not the, the type of partnership because we we're talking about partnerships earlier. So, you know, Westpac <clears throat> partnering with us and Afterpay, really big news in Australia, but I think big news globally. And there's a lot of very exciting partners to come. Uh, but tying all the various things we were talking about earlier, open banking has been talked about for so long, but but these banking as a service relationships that are trying to really layer and, and partner in ways that, you know, challenges the traditional money-making uh, ways of the bank. They're only becoming palpable and real now. Mm. We've had the ideas for a while, right? We've been talking about this for a very long time, but right. actually being able to actively consume these solutions as a, as a consumer, it's gone from, some marginal partnerships to being like top of mind for absolutely everyone, which I, I find very interesting because the last 15 years in this industry have both gone very quickly and gone extremely slowly, particularly for those of us who are on the inside of a big organization trying to get them to get with a program. Um, so seeing big banks jump in and embrace that transition is, is an exciting thing for me. I know we'll segue to something not as exciting, but this this was a great a great moment for me, I think, and for the industry. Okay. 
and the less exciting? Well, the less exciting is that we've seen news of of companies going bust, companies that um, had been, you know, not to name names, everyone's darling nine months ago and 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 going bust. Um, we've seen, and I know we'll, we'll segue to it, some um, European challengers brave the US market and come back. Yeah. And and there is a conversation that Mariana and I have had on and off for many years about this whole coming of age thing, having a brilliant idea and actually having a sustainable business, not the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, but because Lita, let, let me jump on that because you, you mentioned it. Uh, we've heard in the in November we've heard that N26 is is cancelling uh, the US plans. So having half a million users or customers uh, there already, uh, which is the second um, change in the strategy. Which uh, the first change was not to go into the UK, which uh, was primarily communicated or in the first instance communicated to be a major development and in the same time nevertheless collect a lot of money on a very impressive valuation so how, how, how does that actually uh, play out Mariano now maybe this is the, the also the segue into private equity then and and would you also then still believe into any Brazilian plan because why, why should it work in Brazil where we have great challenger banks already and why is it easier in Brazil than uh, in the US? I know it's uh, can't compare the two markets, but what is your takeaway on this, Maya? Well, I think you know the 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 the, the, the interesting bit here is that for know it alls like Lita or myself, you know, we can claim that we've been sort of forecasting this all along, right? Uh, mm. Doing banking is not something that that is subject to a lot of reinvention, right? Ultimately, you're borrowing at a cheap rate and you're lending at a higher rate. And every time someone does a transaction, you charge for it, right? And then you can mix and match any which way you want. But realistically, 99% of banking for the past 300 years has been that, right? And the two major drivers of success or failure, I think, have to do, well, yeah, two or three are regulation, right? Sustainable business model. And, and customer stickiness, right? If you can keep your customers long enough and you can make money with each of those customers and the regulator doesn't drive you nuts, then you have a model that will make money, right? And I think that for a long time, we've seen uh, challenger banks uh, put in question those three pillars, right? Saying, no, I can do whatever I want. The regulator is allowing me. Or yes, I can have a business model without credit because I don't need to make money with credit. Or I can lend without having, you know, a credit, a, a, a strong credit model. I can still do it. Or I can give transactions for free because eventually I will make money. And my clients are sticky because I'm faster and nicer and have better UI. And I think that, you know, the reality of, of tough competitive markets with not necessarily incredibly progressive regulators like the US or progressive regulators with different rules like in the UK has proven a pill that is a little bit tough to swallow for many of these models, right? You can make money on the interchange here in the US, uh, but you need a little bit more of that to convince the regulators uh, in in places with you know with low interest rate environments, you have to have both transactional fees as well as trade fees to make it through. And the reality is that a lot of these models are finally facing the fact that they didn't have strong sustainable business models to carry through what is in the long run 
uh, sort of, you know, I, I won't say immutable, but fairly rigid rules of banking, right? So I think when we see a bank fail in the UK or try to extract themselves in the US, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, blame the environment. I wouldn't blame, I would just say, well, this is what was bound to happen. These are very competitive markets, mm -hmm. right? With fairly rigid rules and regulators that follow, you know, certain, let's say, uh, ultimate political views. And that's where you land when, when, you know, this is the plane you have, right? There's not a lot you can do about it. You can say, well, my UI is better. My technology stack is, is faster and cheaper. I'm, I'm nimbler at, at doing X or Y. But in the end, that's not really what matters, right? That's not really what makes sticky clients with whom you can make money stay and give you that money. Right. And, and and then we enter because and you also mentioned that the UK environment, but you know, but but, but uh, you know, I would I would have a question: What is a customer? And what is a sticky customer? Is a sticky is a customer with whatever like a, a, a twenty pound deposit in average? Is that a, a customer? And and how much is that valued? You know, but, but we come back uh, to this discussion, which we should not have today. But what I wanted to say is, as much as I've, I just you know, from from the sideline, do we see um, what? Well, how is the UK challenger market, uh, challenger bank market doing in the UK? Is there? Uh, I, I I hear some signals that it's not it's not going too well on one, and maybe quite good on the others. Lita, what? I I think uh, what Mariano described. Whenever you give me that that perfect smile, I have to switch over to you. <laughs> oh, I should have used that trick earlier. Um, I am uh, I I am. I was nodding away while Marianne was speaking because um, there is there is just absolute truth in what he described and it, all of what he said is not untrue of the UK market. I'll say that there is, um, and 26 is, is not the first European challenger to go into the US and go, oh, that didn't work out. And, um, and what I find a little bit disappointing is that they're not learning from each other because I actually think there is something brave to wind something back once it has Absolutely. right so we saw monzo do the sort of mass affluent segment badly and wheel it back we saw feeder come out of the market and do it so gracefully that's like you know what this didn't work for us and we need to consolidate so i think there's a bravery in that what is disappointing is that this is the third european challenger in as many years trying to get into the us and and making the same mistakes around marketing assumptions about penetration. And I think the, the actual problem that we're facing is exactly the same as the, the challengers are facing in their home market, which is the business model that they're operating to is exactly the one Mariano described. And UX doesn't flex anywhere across that. Your overall operating cost, if you've stacked up your technology well, will probably be a bit lower per account. But the traditional um, banking model makes money in one of three ways. Masses of deposits that you can leverage to lend. None of the challengers have that. Uh, cross and upselling three or more products. So you need to have mortgages and credit in quite a lot of combinations for the retail customer to, uh, to make your profit or as a givey get for citizenship and, and you know friendliness with the regulator while actually they're they're making money on on the corporate side that's the reality of traditional banking and that's why scale was always appealing fancy ux 
for a time was thought to make the difference to Mariano's point, but fundamentally under the hood, everyone tries to make money the same way with a slightly different cost model, unless you either transform your economics, which nobody has tried to do, and I'm not even sure it's, it's possible to be honest with you, or you achieve that tipping point of scale, you're going to struggle. And what we're seeing in, in, uh, in the UK is exactly that, that the, um, the challengers are getting to a point in time where the proof of the pudding is not in the eating. And with the exception of Starling and the moves they're making in the SME space and the lending space, showing some promise, late bloomer though, which is an interesting one, the others are in exactly the same predicament Mariano described. If you look at the way they are making money, there's no innovation there. It's tried and tested and they just can't make it work yet. The question, which could go back to Mariano as, as, a, as an investor, although not an investor in these guys, is how long do you give it? This is not yeah. a good thing. When, when Balderton backed Revolut, how long did they think it was going to take? Because I suspect that what we will hear now is not what we, we, we had heard a few years ago. I would definitely think so. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's, you mentioned Starling and, and we all know Anne Bowden of Starling. I think the Starling narrative changed many times. Uh, and I think this yeah, is- and, 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 and I, sorry for interrupting, but yeah, no, I no, think no. Starling is working maybe uh, because it has switched from, you know, neobank-like narrative to, I'm going to be an SME lender with the government's, you know, the Her Royal Majesty's money, uh, following a business model that has been up and going for 200 years with building societies and lending money to people who most likely cannot get a loan from HSBC or Santander yeah. or RBS or one of the high street banks. So is that a neobank? Is that a challenger? I don't know. It's not exciting from a perspective if you ask me right there's nothing there's no secret sauce around that right oh, yeah. this idea that Lida was saying like they haven't been able to, to transform the economics that's the secret sauce and if you find it please do give me a call so Mariano what you're saying and you said it before in, in a kind of sense as well and I made my notice is, is where is the innovation right so uh, because actually I I uh, even back to my period days, at the end of the day, I had to say, okay, but what is new? What is it? Is is the real innovation that we are offering uh, in terms of banking? Is that really new? You know, because we're still sending money from left to right. We 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 store money. We we grant loans. But 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 what is the real thing? And is UX is UX sustainable? Is UX sufficient? Let me say it like this: Is UX sufficient to claim us uh, to allow us to claim? Whatever kind of an innovation leadership. Let me let me segue. Yeah, and Lida, I, I share your view. And then let me let me segue into another topic then. And we had that in, in Singapore in the discussion is everything around Web 3.0 and DeFi. Wouldn't that be more like a way we could go into? And Lida, asking you a very provoking question for your 10x background as well. Why sharing, why, why bothering with embedded finance when DeFi and, and Web 3.0 will be the future? Ah, oh, that is a challenge. Uh, that's a that's a gauntlet thrown. Um, I do agree that decentralization is the future. I don't think 
it's coming as quickly as we thought a few years ago, and I don't think it's coming as quickly as uh, we think now. I'm, I'm hearing people talk about decentralized finance like they just discovered it last year. We have been talking about decentralization um, for, for a long time. Yep. I, I think there's an absolute place for people to work on solutions now that will be a leapfrog from where we are. We are choosing to solve a problem today. Yeah. Um, and so I think one does not um, does not dispute the other. I think the- uh, can I, Sorry, can I be provocative? What is the, the problem that we are solving? Well, me in my day job or you? No, I mean DeFi. What problem is DeFi solving? No, DeFi, at least the industry claims to, or the, the defendants of DeFi are claiming that by cutting out the middlemen and institutions and allowing peer-to-peer -peer finance, we increase, um, you know, we, we, we decrease frictions of transactions, uh, we uh, increase transparency, uh, the, the whole financial system could be more transparent and fair. But that's that's like the, the blockchain uh, narrative of fifteen. That's that's the yeah, same. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that's the same narrative that we've been hearing from Bitcoin maximalists since um, twenty twelve. Yeah. So um, I do um, think that there is a decentralization component that we will absolutely see. There is a, but it won't be decentralization of the man. It will be decentralization of the capabilities and the infrastructure the man is yeah. using. So I think um, DeFi solutions will be super useful for regulators the world over, but it will connect them more. So, so I think the technology will come into play massively, but it will decentralize the the, the, the structural components of our architecture, not the power and the visibility. And I think that's the big disconnect. And for that to happen, there needs much more regulatory maturity and the people who will use it to understand how to use it. I find it that a little bit scary, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. I think that it will be a world that is much more transparent and connected than, than the uh, defenders believe. But, but I also don't think it's an imminent thing. And, and maybe, and Lina, and at um, the same time, I could say maybe this is also delivering back a very substantial role of banks to the banks, which is the trust anchor, anchor role, right? And and which is uh, maybe the consequence out of what you say. I'm, I'm just saying that DeFi and Web3 thing because, you know, in October, November, those have been, at least for the financial services industry, the month where we learned that video games are taking that development and uh, that something like Axie Infinity in the Philippines is, is having uh, a massive development and NFTs, which is nothing else than a tokenized asset or smart contract in, in combination with smart contracts is, is the hot shit, so to say, of, of that development. While the financial services, in, which means then the financial services in itself is still thinking about how to handle it, while other industries are already taking it over because it seems to solve their problem, Maya, you know? So or it allows them to create new video games, for instance. And um, well, I, and then this is why I find that to be a quite interesting development. Would, would you at least agree on this, Mayano? Or Yeah, no, I look, don't, 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 <laughs> don't get me wrong. I think it's a great, look, Every, every single one of these pushes that we've seen over the past uh, 10 years or for 10 years, because we've been around for maybe 10 years in this space, but you know, 50 years has been a great uh, 
accelerator for innovation, for new ideas, for new ways of doing things, for new technology that ultimately benefit the end customer. And I think DeFi will do exactly that. It will give us more tools and it will give us better, you know, ultimately more liquidity for uh, digital assets in general, right? And it'll be great. But it's not. It's a better mousetrap. It's not right now. It's not really solving a problem that we hadn't been able to solve up to today, right? This is not the holy grail of anything else. As none of the technology that we've been discussing for the past ten years has been a holy grail of anything, right? It's great technology. It will provide liquidity, you know, primary and secondary liquidity to uh, any tokenization of any real, you know, real assets that we decide to digitize, and it's going to be amazing but it's not really solving uh, uh, any problem that we haven't been able to look at in the past, right? Let me put it that way. If you, if you, Mariano, if you say, actually, my problem statement is world peace, <laughs> like, you know, in, the, <laughs> in, in all these mis shows and so on and so on, and I want to have world peace, and this is the problem statement FinTech is solving, I maybe could have told you back in 2010, we will not make it. Nevertheless, having said that, nevertheless, I would say that FinTech enables you know, something like financial inclusion and financial education and, and all that stuff, which has not been that easy uh, uh, to handle. But again, Matthias, I'm the usual pessimistic self. Does it though? Have we really seen massive push for inclusion thanks mm. to fintech? I think the last massive push well, for inclusion that I've seen was the, you know, Lula da Silva's government in the mid 90s in Brazil that managed to lift out of poverty 50 million people, or maybe I'm exaggerating with the numbers, but like, uh, uh, have we seen any neobank bring people out of, have we seen any no, real uh, improvement with, with alternative yeah. credit uh, rate scoring for people who couldn't but access I, credit before? Not really. I, I totally agree with that. I, I I violently agree with that. And I think we're asking ourselves the, the wrong question here. Um, I, I, as I get older, I keep saying this has to come from the regulator and I don't recognize myself. Uh, I, I used to be much more rebellious than that. But the reality <laughs> is the, the businesses are there to make money, right? The, the rest will come either from civil society or regulatory push. But if if I look at all of this, I'll say tinkering is always good. Mariano is absolutely right. We've been looking at technologies to see the Holy Grail. And not only did they not deliver the Holy Grail, but also none of the technologies we've played with delivered against the expectation. But they delivered something else. It's the whole, you know, if you look at some of the science for science's sake we've done, you know, it was NASA scientists playing around over here that gave us cancer screening tests for breast cancer over there. So I'm a big fan of playing around with things, even if you don't know where they're going to land. Um, what I find amusing is that 10, 15 years on, we still have this expectation that the biggest decision makers inside the industry will back and fund their own undoing. There are these big infrastructure projects that the rebellion believes that the banks or the regulators will back, invest in and stand up only then to be asked to leave the party. That is never going to happen. It's, it's, Lita, I'm just asking that because I, and, and you know, uh, I can say with all, um, you know, blaming myself, um, uh, the industry itself started with a narrative to rescued the world, so to say, some 10 years ago. And, and we have to find out that maybe we did not really uh, accomplish that mission. 
uh, in the same time, I was pretty much in, uh, impressed when Premier Moody of India did, I think that was three years ago now, at the Singapore FinTech Festival, that he did say that that with the help of FinTech, he made it also like Mayani, what you just explained for uh, Brazil. He, he gave some numbers of hundreds of millions of Indians that have access to accounts now by KYC technology and all that stuff. So maybe it's, it's, it's and it's for sure to, to the points you Lina just raised, it's, it's a very regional and very different uh development then now having uh, a look having a look to our clock actually which is running we we come to the end of the show um and after uh looking into the back mirror um allow me to ask you a final question looking now uh to the to the future to come what would you what would you wish yourself or what would you say what would you want to see in december and and then maybe how would you like to address the, that year 2021 and which we're still uh, with all its volatility and ups and downs living um mariano maybe i start with you please well, you know please, may, maybe Mayano, maybe Mayano, one point please don't be too pessimistic right you know no, there, I was, I was there's a lot of super optimistic <laughs> i was going to be super optimistic so and maybe this is because yesterday i went with my kids to see uh, the Eternals, right? So, like, I'm coming with this sort of, you know, super, like, big picture kind of thing. But if you think about it, we are in a very interesting uh, point in, in in history. There is oversupply of capital. Yeah. We we hopefully, fingers crossed, we just managed to overcome, uh, you know, the worst pandemic in a hundred years, um, which has massively changed the way we work and the way we interact and the way we do many, many things. We are seeing a lot of enablers uh, in terms of technology, financial and non-financial uh, mature and be available now in the market to be absorbed or adopted by, by uh, other platforms. So if you ask me, I think if anything, we're gonna see the speed of innovation in financial services and in general, uh, uh, accelerate even further, right? The, all of the components are there for us to throw money at the good ideas uh, and see them, uh, you know, continue growing. So, so by no means, I'm I'm pessimistic. I think, I think uh, it's a very interesting. I was I don't know who I was saying this a few days ago. It's a very interesting time to be alive. Okay, wonderful. Now I'm very happy. You know, it's very foggy outside and very cloudy and rainy, and people are depressed anyhow. No, 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 no. I'm very happy you did not put additional depression reasons on top of that, but you have a very optimistic uh, perception of the presence. I'm very happy to hear. Lida. You know, as you were asking the question, uh, London, not sunny at the best of times, has clouded over and the heavens have opened. Um, yeah. I would say that uh, December I'm nervous about, particularly with this new variant. Um, people are tired, and I not just mean physically and mentally, but depleted resources um, uh, in households. I'm I'm worried about where um, this new variant might leave us for, for 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 the immediate future. But facing into the new year, I share Mariana's optimism. And, and the main reason is that we've been at this for long enough that a lot of things has, have fallen by the wayside, as they should. But the things that have stuck 
are getting really sizable and meaningful. So when we are, you know, if you think about the fact that 10, 15 years ago, we we had to negotiate about the technical and data capabilities you would need to have an app. Yeah. And today, the, the average bank understands containerization and understands the significance of it. Shows that the, the pace of change may have felt slow day to day, but actually has been quite dramatic. And what, what I think we're going to see next year might be not any particular wow new things, but this real growing of roots of a new way of working and delivering capabilities that is much more connected, on top of which we will be seeing innovation at an unprecedented rate that will not have those boundaries of financial innovation from within the FS world or healthcare innovation from within the healthcare world, because that infrastructure connectivity will mean that the crazy idea that the 18 year old has actually has for the first time in history, the means to be brought to life very quickly. So I do think that these capabilities reaching of age will, will be the theme for next year. And on top of that, the sky's the limit. I, th I think, uh, unless it's not too clouded. So I, <laughs> no, I, I think, Lina, thank you so much for those closing remarks. Um, that, that is, uh, I would say, in particular, uh, motivating and, and keeping us alive. Uh, definitely, in particular, now in the days where we have a new variant, obviously, coming around. Um, and maybe... Uh, you know, wherever we will go on this. No, thank you so much, Mariano, for finding the time and having my pleasure and sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much, Leda, also for yes. spreading your uh, optimism into <laughs> our uh, listener and, and viewer group. Uh, thanks, Renata, for organizing technology and, and um, helping us broadcasting. That was episode 106 um, from... Uh, breaking Banks Europe. Uh, we did speak about uh, news from the fintech front and not only looking back into November, but also really heading into or looking into the future and what might the next year be about. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoker Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.